Welcome to the Talking Story Podcast, where we believe all of us can have a more purposeful and meaningful, and yes, an even more exciting life. Listen in to inspiring stories about ordinary people who have done extraordinary things with their lives, through their hobbies, their passions, and their businesses. Join your hosts, father and daughter team, Bob and Kelsey, as they travel the world seeking out those whose stories inspire us to do things greater than what we imagined we could. Well, welcome to the Talking Story podcast. I'm Bob Walaszewski, your co-host. I'm Kelsey Walaszewski, the host of the Talking Story podcast. We're so happy you are here. Well, this next interview on the Talking Story podcast deals with the subjects of adoption, foster adoption, international um, adoption, and actually single women care in other countries. It's kind of a multifaceted uh, topic from a very multifaceted organization. Now, Kelsey, I was not there for this particular interview, uh, but you were there in Bluffton, Indiana. Do I have the town correct? That's correct. Bluffton, Indiana. I tell you, a lot of amazing things are coming out of Bluffton, Indiana. We've already listened to Helping Hands, which was back in January. We've listened to Matt Hartzell's interview of the Forgotten Children, and I'm heading to Uganda with them here in a couple months. And now here we are, Loving Shepherd's Ministry. So, so, so many cool things coming out from a little small town. One thing I did not know about while listening to this particular uh, interview, Kels, and on a personal note, I guess I got to pick up the phone, and, and, and but it's okay to put it here on the front of the podcast, was you mentioned, I have wanted to adopt uh, since I was a little girl. Kelsey, I did not know that. I mean, I feel like as your dad is like, well, where, where did that come from? But that excited me. And, uh, and, and so you got you to gotta share real quick with our listeners and your dad what that's about. Yeah, I, I don't know. I've just always had a heart to adopt. And when I got married, I remember with my husband, which is unfortunately now my ex-husband, but we had conversations about adopting. And we weren't quite sure if we were going to adopt or foster to adopt or just foster, but there was just always been something in me that just felt like my family is going to come probably not biologically. And so this interview is probably more on a personal investigation of what it looks like to adopt, to foster, to adopt, or to foster. Because there's something in me that obviously I hope Mr. Wright is out there somewhere, but I don't want that to stop me from this call that I feel like God has put in my life. And so some way, somehow, at some point, I know um, I mentioned 10 years, but I hope to have kids some way, somehow in my life. I'm not quite sure what that looks like, but I'm praying through it. Well, there's a lot in the scriptures about taking care of widows and orphans. And, uh, and there's something about an organization like this one that must be near and dear the, to the heart of the Lord. Anyways. The interview, uh, like I said, I was not part of, but uh, listener, buckle up your seatbelt, especially if you have had an interest like Kelsey 
of possibly adding to your family, or you know of someone who has been wondering about the very same thing, because this is a, 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 an organization that since, what was it, 2002, have been um, doing things and learning a little bit hit and miss as they've gone along, but they've sharpened the edge as they've, uh, as they've gone along and know how to get the job done. And uh, so without any further ado, here we go. Doug-ish, it is wonderful to be here in Bluffton, Indiana, and I am sitting here in Loving Shepherd Ministries, I, I guess a conference room Correct. that you guys have. Yes. This is a big place, by the way. It is, yes. I, that was my like first impression pulling in where I'm like, whoa, you said something about how many square feet? 30,000. 30,000, and there's lots of things happening in this ministry. Correct. So we're going to get into that, but for those of you like me who didn't know what Loving Shepherd Ministries is and does, and then you don't even know Doug Ish. We want, Doug, you to, for you to introduce yourself, who you are, and then we're hoping you'll kind of walk us on your journey about how you came to be a part of this Loving Shepherd Ministries, which we're going to just, because it's like a... Um, it doesn't roll on the tongue quite well. And I noticed on the sign, it's just LSM. LSM is what we typically go with. Yeah, okay. exactly. So from here on out, folks, to our listeners, we're going <laughs> to refer to this as LSM. Otherwise, I'm going to get twisted up in my tongue at some point and just call great. it the wrong name. But yep, anyways, Doug, would you tell us a little bit about yourself and who you are, how you yeah. came to be? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, I'm 48 years old and I'm a follower of Christ. I've uh, been with Loving Shepherd Ministries since the beginning, the LSM. Uh, which is uh, was started in 2002, so 18 years here. Oh, wow. Um, and uh, married for 26 years to my wife, Tanya. We have five children and uh, just, yeah, really blessed. Um, love to read, uh, love to learn new things, and uh, really passionate about helping those that are uh, vulnerable. Mm. And, and so uh, just thankful to have an opportunity to even be a part of this ministry. Has that always been like your heartbeat? Like, would people say from your like growing up years, maybe starting high school, that you just had a passion of helping people? Or did that um, have a, a like an evolution in your life where you saw something or experienced something? Um, that's a great question. I, I think uh, once I became a Christian at about 18 years of age, um, I, I was... I always had the sense that anything I did had to have purpose and meaning to it. Mm. And even when I was in college... Uh, pursuing a business degree, I gravitated towards not-for-profit ministry uh, business types of things. And so when I did case, um, uh, you know, different kinds of case projects and different kinds of projects for for business school, I would tend to do those kinds of projects. Then when it came time to graduation, I got a job in banking and and financial services. And just because that's what was available, I got married, uh, needed a job, needed yeah. money, and you just start kind of rolling and and kind of forgot about it a little bit, and then kind of get into a little bit of kind of how we, LSM even started then, but kind of rolled back the clock to September 2011, Twin Towers fall. Yeah. I'm in the middle of um, you know financial services, selling stocks and bonds and mutual funds, and just the markets are crashing. You watch these people die and, you know, it's kind of like reignited in my mind, my, my mind about, 
you know, is there a way to actually help people a little more directly? I, obviously, there's great good that's done in any job, right. um, but Absolutely. just the sense of direct um, personal connection to helping people a little bit more directly in a Christ-centered ministry was kind of what I was thinking. So I, I did a little bit of looking around and didn't necessarily see anything, but my heart was definitely drawn there. And, and I, it was Christmas 2011. I was at my in-laws uh, for Christmas and I told my father-in-law, you know, if there was a Christ-centered ministry that was really doing good things for the vulnerable, I said, man, I would really be excited about being a mm-hmm. part of that. And, you know, he said, well, that's, that's interesting. That's neat. He, you know, that was about all it was. And then it was it was less than a month later, he was a pastor and, and he was counseling with a, a couple who were interested in adoption and they were asking him questions and he's like, well, I, I don't know what to tell you. I don't know anything about that exactly, but I, you know, adoption's a great thing, you know, which sure supports you in that, but didn't really have any information. And he, and he was struck with a thought that what if there was a ministry that was in, in the business of helping families figure out how to adopt, not an adoption agency, but a no cost service that walked alongside of families and helped them figure out the best way for them to adopt kids. And as soon as he had that thought, and this was in January, 2002, my, my comment to him about, I'd really like to be involved in a a not-for-profit ministry. It was kind of like the hand and glove came together because in his, his initial thought was, I don't know anything about business. I don't know anything about, you know, operations, managing things like that. And then you know, with where I was at and the financial services and a business degree and where he came from as a pastor, um, we started talking. Mm-hmm. And by July of that year, we had opened our doors and we were off and running. And um, that's how LSM started. So so you said you're a co-founder. So your dad is the one. Father-in-law. Father-in-law. Yeah. Sorry. sorry. So yeah. Father-in-law is the other part of the Correct. Yeah. Ed uh, Swartz. Team. He's still, um, he was president for uh, 16 years. Uh, two years ago, we made a transition. He's now uh, founder and director of new initiatives. Um, okay. He's the visionary. Um, okay. And so he's uh, busy starting new projects and helping us to think through new ways to help kids and, and do different things like that. And so uh, I became president in, in uh, 2018. Okay. Well, congratulations. Yeah. Thanks. It's neat to see like... Um, you recognized your strengths. He yeah. could recognize his strengths and that they complemented each other. And then hence what's birthed is LSM. Yeah. And that's been a hallmark of the leadership. It's been kind of a two-headed leadership from the very beginning where, and, and there's been this mutual respect and, and admiration for the gifts that he has that I don't have and that I have and that he doesn't have. And when you have that kind of relationship where you can disagree, but also make up for the weaknesses of others and yeah. have an appreciation and respect for it. It's, it really is a beautiful thing. And, and that's, that's really what we found. And so we've, it, it's been a real blessing. It's not, I hear stories about it's not always easy working with family or with in-laws, but it, it's been really, really good for oh my gosh. the 18 years that it's been. So we've been really, really thankful. What a gift. Yeah. yeah. I, I was going to also like, there's a lot of people who would go, I'm not going to go into a right. business with my family for the sake of keeping relationship exactly. with my family. But I'm sure a lot of prayer went in and I'm sure it hasn't always been easy, but that I, I could only imagine the forefront of your I could only imagine the forefront of your lives have has always been family first. I'm just yeah. guessing. Yeah, very much and so. that respect and love that, you know, hey, this is not about losing any sort of relationship over. In fact, let's grow the kingdom, grow exactly. his kingdom, and we're going to do this together. So yeah. 
Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Kudos to you guys. That's really no, cool. No, I did thanks. not know that Gloria, about. Yeah. Thanks. And your de- or your father-in-law's name is Ed Swartz. Good job, Ed. So I know he'll be listening to yeah. this podcast. So <laughs> very, very. I wish you were here, Ed. But yeah. uh, very excited to know what you guys are about. Um, so appreciate giving us that background. That's a neat thing for. What I love is when things are founded upon needs. Yeah. You know that it's not a. I want to do this and therefore it's going to happen, but it's this, there's not a lot of people walking alongside folks who are looking to adopt. And I've had my, my family, my brother has adopted. Okay. I have a friend who is in the process of her second adoption and it, and then one of my best friends actually in Hawaii has adopted. And Great. so it's, it's been in my world. So I'm sure. going to be talking a lot about this because it's on my heart to do too. Sure. And so I'm going to come from a, uh, you know, wanting to give our listeners the appropriate information, but I want to, I'm going to be asking some personal questions as well. Um, but for you guys to, again, to come alongside and say, Hey, we want to walk you through this. Cause it, it seems daunting. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of paperwork. There's a lot of questions. So we're going to kind of walk around or walk through a lot of these questions that I know people have when they are contemplating adoption. I had a friend tell me once, why are we going global in meeting needs when there are so many needs are in our own backyard? Something as I was doing research, um, because I heard about you guys through one of my really good friends here that lives in Bluffton. And so I did not know much about y'all. Sure. And more people need to know about y'all because once I started to do the work <laughs> research, I'm like, Oh my gosh, what you guys are doing is incredible. And it doesn't just pertain to Bluffton folks. You guys, no. you guys work with people, I can only imagine, all over the United States. Correct. Yeah, okay. for sure. Um, so when, so yeah, going back to that question, why are we going global in many ways when there's needs in our own backyard? And then something I love about LSM is you serve the vulnerable both domestically and internationally. Correct. Exactly. So can you tell us what does that look like? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I, I love that question as far as, you know, why why would you serve in one or the other? And, and I think an appropriate answer is both. You know, there, there are obviously vulnerable, needy kids everywhere. Yeah. And, and there are benefits to being able to serve locally because it's right where you're at. You can engage people. You can bring volunteers in. You can have the body of Christ be the body of Christ to hurting and vulnerable kids. Um, but then you also look at internationally, some of the needs in some ways, there's less safety nets, there's maybe less developed church, there's less resources and some of the needs, at least, you know, as you look at them with our eyes seem greater than some of the things even locally because of the wealth of the United States and the, and the different kinds of systems that are in place that you don't see in in places like Haiti or Ethiopia, which is the other places that we work. So it, and I am thankful that we can say we're working in both places because there there are needs everywhere. Absolutely. Yeah. No, that's a neat thing. Yeah, I, I, we get that question a lot. You know, some people are, I don't know if enraged isn't the right word, but they, they we'll see if we leave this on the podcast, they get their panties in a wad about <laughs> the idea of going internationally when, you know, it's like, well, this is what's happening. And I just have always said like, God will stir in people's hearts. No question. And yeah. I mean, I just came from for, Forgotten Children, and we're going to be airing them on the podcast. And they are very much globally focused. Sure. And that need is great, and the need is there. And there is, I mean, absolutely, God is using them in mighty ways. And then you guys, I just think is really cool because you're doing both. And yeah. that's not an easy thing for an organization to do. So we're going to tap into that. 
Do you find a difference? I mean, we talked about vulnerable people groups, but what makes the vulnerable people or what what do vulnerable people look like in the U.S. versus a group of kids in Haiti? Yeah, yeah. And it does look different. Um, you know, so here locally, our, our primary program is through our what we call Brickhouse programs. Okay. And Brickhouse um, is a, was an organization that we merged with last August or August 2019. Okay. They were an, a local organization that was that were helping troubled youth in our area. And um, for various reasons, very God-led reasons, uh, it became very apparent that we, were, we, we should join forces together. Hmm. And so we've, we've been kind of in a process here of reinvention of that program. What does it look like to help the vulnerable in our local area? For us in the local area, those, those kids are, are teenagers in the foster care system. Okay. Um, for us, they, there, there's a huge need. Um, the outcomes tend to be really, really bad. Kids don't tend to do well coming out of foster care. I'm not saying it never happens, but in general, that's the case. Um, and so it's it's just a beautiful opportunity for the church to come alongside the kids in foster care, teenagers in foster care. Because what, what we're finding, we, we again in this process of reinvention, we spent time with the Department of Child Services here in Indiana, and we said, "What's the need? What, what okay. are you guys seeing?" So you're asking the questions exactly because we we don't want to solve a problem if it's not a problem, right? right? So so what is the problem? And they said the number one need we have is is there are teenagers in foster care who can't find homes to go into. And so mm-hmm. what that means is, is they end up going into residential facilities or juvenile facilities that not because of, not because their situation warrants it, there just aren't homes that are ready to take them in or willing to take them in. So the, the concept is, is, so we have a property here in Bluffton. We have, there's, there's a, a foster parent couple, a licensed foster parent couple that we we're calling it, it's called structured foster care. It's okay. recognized by the Department of Child Services here in Indiana. It's a bit of a pilot program for them. Our our dream is to to grow this, um, replicate it, find other ways to to move this forward. But it it takes in teenage foster girls and and provides them with a stability that they just can't get at this point, and gives wraparound services that are above and beyond what they would receive in a, in a normal foster home. Hmm. So this isn't residential care. This is a foster home, but it's, it, it's the church coming alongside and giving additional services, tutoring, life skills, um, even a career guidance, uh, those kinds of things. And we're still in the process of building this out. We have a couple other properties that we actually can expand into wow. when, we find the, when we find the right foster mom and dad. But we're really, really excited about it. Um, we think it just has all kinds of really beautiful connect points between the the government services and and the body of Christ. Yeah. And there's a lot of times there's some fear there. You know, we don't want to get involved with government, and maybe there's some pushback. But but our sense has been the government Department of Child Services is recognizing the need for for people to come alongside, and they are very open for it to be. Christians who hmm. care about kids. And and so we're really excited about that. We think it's a really, really neat opportunity. And we'll, we're, we're really excited about what God is doing with that already and yeah. what he's going to continue to do with that. And then, so the way we replicate that is, is it, it could be additional homes, but okay. it, if structured foster care, but it also, those same services could be done for families who are, who have a, a teenage foster kid in their home, yeah. um, come alongside of them, give them some additional services. 
if we can take off some of the burden that that family feels, that more, more families can, can uh, foster uh, teenagers. And Is that the, kind of the reason why it's hard to find families to foster, especially teenagers? Is just that the burden relies solely on the family when they commit? Is that... I mean, what, I'm sure there's a lot of hangups, but yeah, I don't know. It, it looks big. Yeah. Um, it's not easy work. We know that. Yeah. And, and, you know, you, you think about, they're not cute and cuddly as much as, <laughs> as the you know, you teenagers. Think about, really? <laughs> yeah. You think about the three or four year old versus a, you know, 15, right. 16, I'm not saying they're not cute, but you know what I'm saying? The, it's just a very different thing. Absolutely. And, and so giving, giving them confidence that they're not in this on their own, mm. we think has a real opportunity to, to make a significant difference in how many people are willing to, to bring teenagers into their homes and then yeah. make an eternal difference. And, and at some point, we'll want to tie this into what we're doing in Haiti and Ethiopia yeah. because there, there is, a, I think, a, a, a theme, a thread that runs through all of our programs, whether it's adoption services, whether it's the Brick House programs, whether it's our programs in Haiti and Ethiopia that they all look different, right? but there is a theme and there's a thread that runs through all of those things. I'm excited to get there because sometimes people looking on the outside, looking into an organization such as yours, they're kind of overwhelmed. It's like, whoa, we're doing foster care program and now we're in Haiti. And right. it's like, whoa, this just seems like it's big and we don't know where to begin and all of that. So I do love the fact, and I'm a big believer in common threads because, yeah. you know, God's kingdom grows. Right. And as you begin, did you... I mean, you kind of, like you said, you began with this need to walk alongside people who are wanting to go through the adoption process, but then how did the fostering come into play? Yeah. So let's kind of walk through that journey because yeah, it really you, was a journey. I bet. I could, um, 18 years. So yeah, right. So, <laughs> so 2002, we get started, we're helping families and, you know, with, with adoption questions and, and we're finding families all over the country who are interested in those services. And you know, roll the clock forward to today, we've helped over 8,000 families wow. around the United States who've had questions and never charged them anything. And, and you know, adoption tends to be a very emotional experience, mm-hmm. and, and but also very expensive. And so there's oh, lots yeah. of money flowing around. And so being able to give an objective, unbiased guidance has just been really, really valuable for families. So we're really excited about that. So for the first four years of the ministry, that's what we did. Okay. Um, we, we were continuing to grow it, adding some additional services in there, but it was very focused in that. And then um, in 2006, um, we got a call from a, a Haitian pastor, um, Ed Swartz, the, the founder, was uh, very involved in Haiti with, with our church and, and had been familiar with some people. And he, and he had some relationships and became aware of a situation of a Haitian pastor who was taking care of some kids. And this is a classic story where every, I don't know how many people have met a Haitian pastor who's taking care of some kids and you go down and you start helping. And, and that was our story. That's exactly mm. what we did. We probably went a little differently than eventually, but, but it, that was the beginning. Yeah. And so, and, and that was real, you know, there were some real questions in our mind. Are, are we really in a place to do that? You know, mm. it's the adoption resources program is going well. This is very different. International child, child care versus uh, adoption service, very, dif- very different to us. But then we realized, you know, the thread here, though, still is stable, godly families mm. that are, are helping kids, vulnerable kids. Yeah. And, and, and that really led to us clarifying our mission as we went along, that our mission is to help extremely vulnerable kids reach their God-given potential. Mm. And, a, and, and then statement. kind of the next step that developed over time was it wasn't just for the benefit of the kids, though. It's so that they can impact 
their communities and their cultures for Christ. Mm. And so it, it's it's beyond just helping kids. It's 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 turning them into helpers. It's mm. turning them into kids who can be leaders and godly influencers and make a difference. And so whether we're helping a family who wants to adopt a child, that's our heart. Yeah. That this child grows up and someday impacts the kingdom for God, right? Oh, and so cool. and yes. and whether it's helping somebody in foster care, same same dream, same vision. And the same thing for kids in Haiti. So yeah. Roll the clock forward. We've got 20 homes in Haiti. We call them Homes of Hope. Okay. Where we have a Haitian, a Haitian mom and dad who take care of these kids as their own. Um, it's not a formal adoption, but they raise these kids as if they were their own. Um, each home has 12 boys or 12 girls in it. Um, it's 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 a, a lot. Wow. But we have a staff that comes alongside of them. It's it's again. There's there's themes that are similar here, yeah. right? So there there's this wraparound service that that we're, we're providing them with life skills and, and, you know, plugging them into the church and doing all those different things. And then beyond that, we have a technical school that's uh, in operation now that as they graduate high school, it didn't take us very long in Haiti to recognize that with, you know, 80% unemployment and all the issues that they've got down there, that if there's not an exit strategy, we're just setting them up, up to fail. So yeah. that's where we ended up developing a technical school. So as they graduate high school, they actually go to a a 40 acre uh, school slash ranch that they, that we help with and, and raised the, help the, with the kids, the kids uh, help with the chores and they, they learn life skills and discipleship and English and, and uh, will receive a degree from that school along with some additional classes they might take from a local college as well. But the dream behind that then is again, getting them to a place where they're independent, godly, you know, leaders of their communities and, yeah. Uh, it, it's been a beautiful, beautiful thing. We've got kids now in their early 20s and doing mm. extremely well. And, you know, you're starting to see the fruit of the years of pouring into them. And, you know, we're just really, really thankful. It's It's been a beautiful thing. It's Haiti is a difficult country to work in, but it's also a beautiful country to work in. Mm. Um, we've got, the, we have a few distinctives. You know, I, I just did a talk the other night and, and was, was t- sharing that you know, you know, every, every burger joint, right. Has, has their distinctives, right? So you go into McDonald's, you might not get the best burger ever, but it's going to be fast and it's going to be exactly like the last one you had. And, you know, Wendy's is fresh, made to order, never frozen. And, you know, Burger King, make it my way, you know, so you've got some distinct, every ministry has got the same thing. Mm -hmm. And and one of our distinctives is that we really, really believe in empowering local believers to take the leadership and and accountability and, and run with things. And so, you know, like right now in Haiti, we've got 200 staff people down there doing lots of different things. We've got mm. some businesses that and were all running. Haitian, all Haitian. Yeah, That's we've really got neat. we have zero Americans on the ground right now in Haiti. You know, we have systems of, of accountability. We have ways of checking in. Um, but we believe extremely strongly that if if this is really going to work, it's going to be Haitian believers. You got to work with the indigenous people. You do. You yep. do the local peoples. It's so interesting. I don't know about you, but growing up for me, I felt that there was always a like savior complex oh, that the yeah. Western world had. Sure. I mean, I went on a couple missions trips and granted those mission trips probably uh, cultivated my heart into wanting to help others. There's a place for them. There and there's really a is. place for them, but yep. I, I could just, oh, there's so much regret in some of those mission trips going back and just being like, we just came in thinking we had everything together. We're going to teach you our ways. We'd be there for two weeks and then we'd leave giving ourselves the biggest pat on the back. Right. We changed the world. Right? We changed yeah. the world. <laughs> right. And then to now 
be in this journey of really learning how truly to make a difference and understanding that um, sometimes those two-week missions can do more damage than good. The heart is great. I don't want anyone to take away that the heart is beautiful, but to really be working with the locals because I, I was, again, talking to Matt over with the um, Forgotten Children. He's like, they, I mean, they're brilliant. They and are. They just need the resources. Yeah. And that is where, you know, you guys, it sounds like come in and you provide the resources and the support, but you're empowering the locals to serve within their communities. And I, I just, it's a, it's a cool shift. It's a cool tone that seems to be changing. And as a learning process for us, we didn't start out day one, understanding all of that for sure. And we've made our mistakes, but over time, God continues to be gracious Mm. and good and, and, and share with us that there, there's a better way to do this. And, and we're just really thankful for that. And we uh, will continue to learn, obviously. Yeah. Oh, I have a feeling someone's listening right now going, ah, huh, having an aha moment. You yeah. know, that's where I keep feeling like my, you know, I'm hitting my head against a brick wall type of thing. Yeah. So yeah. Uh, we just know that those type of things, like you said, and I appreciate your openness where you're like, it wasn't the first time, you no. know, that it, it, no. it, all of us go through that, right? All right. of us go through these like journeys that you're like, oh, well, that didn't work out well. And But God is so gentle in how he shifts us and teaches us. And, and here, again, your testimony is here you are 18 years later. And um, how many kids have you been? I know you're just now watching these kids come out of the vocational training program um, and they're in their 20s and stuff like that. But how many kids have you worked with total in Haiti? So there's been about 240 kids. That's awesome. Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. And and again, the heart is to continue to grow that. And and as kids move on to bring new kids in and, and, uh, you know, we, we, we love the stability that this is always in some sense their home, but it just like our own kids, you know, if, if they live with us forever, maybe we haven't done it. You know, there, there's, there's a transition period, right? That yeah. we want them to be independent, godly believers that are out doing mm-hmm. good things for God. And that's, that's our hope and dream for these kids as well. And then, and then a few years later, we started up in Ethiopia. Again, there was a connection. There was a, a, a contact that we had that went over there and we, we tr- you know, you try a few things and you see what, what works and what doesn't. And, you know, the original idea is, well, Homes of Hope is working great in, in Haiti with this it doesn't work in, in Ethiopia. The The government is set up differently. They don't like that. You know, they don't want to see that. So, okay, what else can we do? And, that, mm. and that's when we really discovered the plight of single moms in, in Ethiopia and, mm. and what, what their life is like and how it goes for them, whether their husband died or he, or he left them or whatever. There's this generational poverty that's being developed that is just um, crushing mm. and it leads to prostitution. It leads to um, families being separated and and kids not being able to be taken care of by their moms. And one of the things we learned as we were going through this of just the level of shame that a mom feels in Ethiopia, it's probably universal, but it's very, very prominent in their culture, at least. If if you can't take care of your own kids, then you Mm. have absolutely failed. And Mm. then they start questioning, why did God, why did you even give me a child if Mm. I, if I can't take care of it? And then when, when we come alongside of them and we teach them business skills and, and they start um, lear- earning their own money mm-hmm. and we come alongside and give some educational support and, and we do some discipleship classes and things with the kids, um, all of a sudden, you know, just the testimonies of these moms that the tears streaming down their faces as they're sharing about the dignity that's been restored mm-hmm. and the just the joy of 
and, and we're in their home, and it's a modest home, but they're, they're pointing to their kids and saying, that, that child there wasn't with me because they couldn't take care of them, and that child wasn't with me because they couldn't take care of them. And now we're all together as a family, and just, mm. it's just a beautiful, beautiful thing to see it work like that, and the gratitude and the love. And, and again, it, it's a mom's heart, right? You tap into that, the power of a mom's love, and, and she's doing everything she can for her kids, but she's lacking opportunity. And, and we're just thankful we can come alongside. We're working with 60 single moms in Ethiopia, oh. about 130 kids, and uh, beautiful stories of redemption in Haiti, Ethiopia, as well as here. And then so, and then like I said, in 2019, we merged with Brickhouse. And so I, I would say the theme, back to that thread, that theme is, is, is uh, stable, godly families. Okay. So whether it's in, in Haiti or Ethiopia or, or here in the U.S., we want to work with stable, godly families because we think it's what it's it's the design of God, best way to raise kids. It's not institutional care. It's a, it's it's a family that can that can supply this kid's needs, uh, and again, not just for their own benefit, but but that's how God's kingdom expands, Absolutely. and and that's how we we see kingdom impact for God. And and we're starting to see it. We're really we're really excited to see how what it go where it goes. You know what what happens. How do you get past, and I'm just going to go to the Ethiopian um, ministry that you're doing, like you talk about shame and, you know, I just came from helping hands down the road who are kind of taking the same concept, but locally helping women in crisis pregnancies and all of that. And she was just talking about shame. That's what keeps people from walking in the door, you know, and like, you're right. I think it's universally felt when, especially as women who feel this, I can't take care of my kids. And I mean, I just feel like it's demonic. It's just this attack of like shame. And when you're feeling shame, no matter whatever you're feeling shame from, you want to retreat. Mm -hmm. You don't want to press into community. You want to run probably as far away as you possibly can or hide in a hole and never come out. Like that is what shame does. So working with women that feel the shame, how do you come alongside? Like, because a lot of times walls are built when there's shame that's felt. So how do you break down those walls and say, it's okay, we got you. This is not the, like, this is not reflecting on you and your value and who you are and what you've tried doing. Like, let us help. How, where's, how does that work? It it really comes down to godly Ethiopians who come alongside and, and they're not judging and they're being gentle Mm -hmm. and they're inviting and, and you're right. Not everybody's ready for it. Right. So, so you invite and you, and you bring alongside. And if, if I was over there trying to do that, I would screw it up so badly, you know? <laughs> um, but we have just, are again, blessed with wonderful Ethiopian believers mm-hmm. who get it and yeah. who are, are gifted at this. And they're, they're just doing a wonderful job of, you know, okay, so, and there's different roles, right? So there's the people who, who introduce and, and invite and bring alongside, and there's those who manage the funds, and there's those that, you know, do the discipleship training. And yeah. it's just a beautiful picture of, of the body of Christ, right, mm-hmm. um, that, that makes this work. And, yeah, again, it's, it's that reliance on local believers to, to make this work. Um, yeah. It really is. That's so cool. It has to be. But yeah, that's the body of Christ in action right there. Um, And then for you guys to be here in Bluffton, Indiana, and my guess is your role is just to support and provide resources and probably be their biggest cheerleader. How can we help? Lots of phone calls. And, you know, we stay in contact and and we, again, provide accountability, whether that's through, you know, financial reports or whether that's through visits or whether that's through phone calls. 
um, you know, they're they're not on their own. Yeah. But but they're but they are able to do this in a culturally sensitive, helpful way that um, that it, again it's it's us providing the peace that we can provide and them mm-hmm. providing the peace that they can. And again, God's God gets the glory in the end. That's so cool. Hmm. I love it. I love it. And someday I'm like thinking, I'm like, I want to go to Ethiopia and like interview one of those folks on the ground. Oh. Cause I just, I have a feeling like their story, even though it's cultural, I have a feeling that they could teach us a lot. Oh, <laughs> they, they have and they, yeah, they do. Yeah. yeah I just, yeah. I, I mean, yeah, I've rubbed shoulders. I have, yeah, we, we're doing work in Kenya right now. And it's like, I just, there's something in my heart that I'm like, I just want to go spend a few months and learn. Yeah. Like I just, I'm ready to learn. Yeah. And anyways, yeah. that's and we, a whole nother conversation. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have one of our, we have a basically two, we have a kind of a duplicate program, but in Ethiopia, we have one in, in the capital of Addis in, a, in an urban setting. And we have okay. one in a, in a rural setting in, mm. a, in a small village. And it is just really neat to see God's love being shared in different environments, different yeah. situations, the heart's the same. It looks a little different, but, but really at the end, it's, it's uh, in, in helping these women be able to take care of their families yeah. so that these kids break generational poverty. Mm-hmm. They, they, they come to know Jesus. They, they become the godly leaders that, that God intends them to be. Absolutely. And uh, that's just, just a beautiful thing. Mm, so good. That's so awesome. Uh, I'm going to keep moving through questions yep. and I'm going to take it more personal. Sure. Are you ready for this? Uh-huh. So sure. listeners, <laughs> you, I, I hope you stay with us because I, you're going to listen and hear a little bit more about my heart, but I want to adopt someday. Sure. That has been on my heart since I was a little girl. Yep. And right now I am single and I noticed on your website that there is a way for singles to adopt. And we'll go there in a second. I don't know what God has planned in the near future, far future. Sure. Um, I have a feeling that adoption may happen for me uh, in the next 10 years. Sure. But it's just on my heart. But the like I said earlier in the podcast, that process seems daunting. I'm learning from my brother who is now adopting uh, for the second time. And I'm like, okay. And they're beautiful baby little like their baby girl is just oh my gosh we love her she is a part of this family and so we're just excited for baby number two and we're not sure from which state she's coming from yeah um and i'm just i'm like i'm gonna follow suit it's gonna happen but what would you say to encourage someone who is starting to prepare to adopt like thinking that this is maybe 10 years away in my life. Like, what would you advise me to do to learn more or to prepare my heart for or financially for? Because I know it is expensive. So. Sure, sure. Yeah, and, and you know, so, so I'll just share a little bit how, the, how the, our program works. Okay. And, and obviously that it, it makes a little bit of difference where you're at in the process and, and you know, is, when's the right time to, to do certain things. We have an assessment that we developed over the oh. years that, basically asks you or whoever's doing it a a series of questions and and really to get to the heart of why are you looking to adopt? What is your personal situation? Because there are a number of things that just aren't options for certain people for for, for whatever various reasons. And so, you know, what, what that does, I think, is 
really can can center you for instance let's let's get yep, talk about your we're situation just take it to me yeah yep. um would, would would say right up front it's going to help center your prayer right on mm-hmm. on what is actually possible mm. because if 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 these certain ways of adopting or this certain place to adopt isn't really an option because of whatever age family situation the past whatever right well let's just take that off the table and let's make it a little clearer on what really is sitting there that you can be praying about. Okay, I like and, that. And so it kind of narrows the field, right? It narrows yeah. the the options so that you can actually focus and visualize and see what God maybe has in mind for you. Okay. And, and so we, we found just tremendous value. And, and, you know, people take the assessment and some people come to the conclusion, you know what, after answering these questions, we're not ready to adopt. Mm-hmm. And that's, and you know, we see that that's as a okay. success too, right? Because yes. they've, they've come to that conclusion through information, through prayer, and, and now, you know, maybe there's other ways they can serve. Maybe there's other things they can do. Yeah. Or maybe they do decide it's time to start the adoption process. Or maybe it's just not now. Yeah. But at least they know now. They know what the costs are. They know what the options are. They've got their questions answered. You know, so we, we have a person on staff who, who goes through those, those assessments. And, and we've, we've seen a tremendous amount of change in mm-hmm. the adoption world since 2002. I can imagine. In 2002 was kind of kind of the height of international adoption, okay. right? There, there was a period of time there where there was 20, 25,000 children adopted from international countries to the United States. Okay. Uh, places like Russia and, and uh, South Korea and um, Ukraine was big. Um, oh, Guatemala was big. There, there were just... A number. There, were, there was always about five countries that that supplied supplied sounds terrible, but <laughs> but it was it was the best place for people to adopt at that particular time. And then you'd see countries kind of come and go for different reasons. It, it was kind of an inevitable process where if a country became really really popular for adoption, eventually there was enough light being kind of shown on that that mm. the, the government would maybe start looking at it a little bit more and saying. Well, you know, it doesn't look, it doesn't really look good to us as a country that we have to send our kids to another country. Right. And so there's, there tended to be a lot of national pride or maybe they'd hear a story or two that wasn't real positive. And so then there would usually be changes. And so you'd kind of see this different. And, and what we've really seen for the last few years now is the number of countries that are open for adoption has dwindled. Okay. Um, it's, it's not the same as it was several years ago as far as a lot of openness and lots of op- options necessarily. There's still options, right? but they've changed. Okay. The wait times have gotten longer. The age of the kids has gotten older. The special needs maybe has gone up, the, you know, those mm. kinds of things. And so we have retooled a bit and said, well, let's look more at the domestic world. Okay. Um, that, that tends to be more of the, that's probably the path most people are going to go down anymore. Yes. And so what does that mean? And so we, we, help, we help individuals, families, think through the questions they should be asking and and then again thinking through so adoption out of foster care is can can be a good option not for everybody Um, private domestic can also be a good option you know here's what that looks like here's the questions here's some of the costs we see and again we can we can give a lot of good information that again we're not charging people for can help them center their prayers and and knows where they're heading and kind of again get a picture of what maybe they're what what's even a possibility but that's that's kind of what we see today, yeah, and and kind of where things are at. I'm going to put you in a role of a mythbuster. You can okay, tell me sure. if this is right or wrong. Yeah. But I've heard, and so I've heard like we're going to go back to international adoptions, and the part of the reason why it's become uh, more difficult, maybe, mm-hmm. 
is because for a while, the agencies were seeing this as like a business in a Mm. sense, and they were going to vulnerable families and actually like buying the children. So these kids had families that were, it seemed like decently taking care of the kids, but when the parents were like, oh, we can make a little money, Mm. was that, is that true? Have you heard of that happening? Or was that just one of those rumors floating around social (laughs) media that just needs to you know, be done and well, truth needs to prevail. Yeah. Well, one of the things that we saw very early in the process of learning about adoption and, and being in that world was there was a huge range of why there were, ado- what the adoption agencies were really trying to accomplish. Okay. It, it did appear to us, and again, I, I don't want to cast aspersions on, on everyone, but, yes, yeah, everyone's but, different. but there, there, there were abuses there in yeah. the sense that there was a lot of mon- money being passed around and yeah. exchanged. And, you know, it was not hard to see how this could, could become, there could be abuses that could yeah. happen. And we have heard stories about things like that. And unfortunately, I think some of that was true. Now, was it always true? No, right. definitely right. There's not. some people doing it yeah. great out there. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And that was part of what we, what we always tried to do was to find those agencies, interview those agencies, talk to them and, and get their heart and then have a list that we could actually recommend to people to That's that was awesome. kind of embedded, you know, that, that yeah. you know, that we, that we trust yeah, that are doing it for the right reasons and doing it ethically and, and, uh, and so forth. So that's a huge yeah. resource for yeah. families. Yeah. So they don't have to do that process themselves. So to just trust that, Hey, you guys have asked the questions and have done that research. Yeah. And the interesting thing we've seen in the 18 years is that you know, in 2002, the internet was around, but it, it wasn't the same world it was today. <laughs> so, so, so back then, you know, it was, it was a lack of information. Today, I'd say almost it's too much information. You don't know what the good information is, you yeah. know, so it, it's still, there's still a need for, you know, unbiased, objective, free information, Yeah. but it's, it's purpose and role has almost changed just a little bit over, over the 18 years as mm. far as what you, yeah, you can go and do a Google search and you can find you know, lots and lots of information, how much of it's true, you know, how, how do you process it all? How does it really apply to me? Right. Those kind of things are still an issue. And, 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 you know, honestly, what we've seen is our adoption resources program is still active and viable and, and a good program. It's still probably about the same size it was when we started, hmm. but right now it's probably two or 3% of our ministry. Okay. Not because it's shrank, but just because everything else has just grown so much. So you wow. think about the work in Ethiopia and Haiti and Brickhouse, they're just much bigger parts of what we do today. Yeah. Not because we don't care about adoption or don't love adoption and don't work in it and, and have a great program in it, but there's just a lot of other things that have just taken off. And you just kind of have to go. Exactly. With yeah. Yep. yep. It, it wasn't because, you know, you have this great plan, you know, you start out with a plan, <laughs> but God, God usually has other ideas, right? Listen to this <laughs> listener. Listen to this. <laughs> Don't get stuck in the rut. Evolve, yeah. move, change. It is interesting when you do start to launch into something and then how it does grow and develop and you just kind of follow like, oh, I thought I was going down this path, but apparently we're going down this For path. Sure. So exactly. that seems to be a common theme and whoever sure I have interviewed in this last year. Um, Okay. I'm just a couple more questions about the adoption. And I know you have taken off with other things, but why is it so expensive? Have you figured out that? I'm sure you have an answer to that, but I've always thought to me, if this is going to be easier for people to do, it 
does seem like cost can be a deterrent for many families who would have open homes, stable homes. It's just they don't have $50,000 in their back pocket to adopt. Yeah. Yeah. And it does tend to be something that tends to be for wealthier people, or at least that's perceived. And, you know, we do have a a resource for, that we give to families on ways they can raise some funds and some Mm. grant opportunities and some things like that, that can help defray some of the costs and try to make it more accessible. But, you know, the reality is, is there's just a lot of people involved in the process. And the more people you have involved in the process, they're doing different things. And it may not be a lot of money to any one of them, but by the time it's done, there's just a lot of there's just a lot of uh, work that goes into the process, and it, it's always so interesting because you think about a family has a child, and you know there's there's no home study, and there's no <laughs> right. you know there's nothing no no vetting out to make sure this child is safe or whatever. But and I get why that has to happen like that, and it makes it makes a lot of sense. But it, there is there is just a lot of moving parts and a lot of people involved, and you know, and I'm sure there's, there is some profit in there for different right. organizations yeah. and things. There has to be there, some profit yeah, in some yeah, ways. Yeah. I understand and, and, that. Almost all of these places, they, you know, they have an orphanage that the kids are in, that they're supporting kids there that'll never get adopted. And yeah, I, it doesn't appear to me that money is being wasted or, or siphoned off or whatever. There just really is a lot to yeah. it. And the more you see, the more you recognize that there's, there are legitimate expenses. You wish you could... <laughs> How do we get this down? You know, how do we, how do we make this less expensive? Because more people could adopt then, right? Uh, is fostering to adopt ex- expensive or is that more of an, is that an easier transition to like foster a kid and then end up? We, we tell people that is by far the least expensive way okay. to adopt a child. Now, there are a whole lot more opportunities for bumps in the road. Okay. Because, you know, some of the kids, their parental rights aren't terminated yet mm. and you bring the child in and you grow to love them and, and, and you have to be prepared at some level that this, the, what might be best for this child is yeah. not to stay with me anymore. And that, that's heart wrenching. You know, it's, yeah. it's not easy, but, um, but, at the, but it really is a very viable way for if, if someone is looking to bring a child into their home and raise them, uh, bring the, you know, have a son or daughter that especially for those that don't have $50,000, right? Right. Um, and, uh, and, and, you know, what's neat about that is you can start out fostering, right? And, and yeah. you know, and say, yeah, in the back of my mind, I, I have a dream of, of adopting, but you can start fostering and you can see mm-hmm. how it goes, right? And, and, and God is so good about bringing the right situations yeah. to the right people at the right time. And, you know, if you go in with a heart to, of openness and, yeah. and so forth, if you go into a heart with of openness, you know God can really is really so faithful in mm. in helping that to work, and yeah. and we've seen it happen over and over again. I love that. Well, I we're running out of time, and I have like five more questions I want to <laughs> ask you. So this just may have to be a part two at some point. Um, but it is interesting you say that because, oh man, our challenge we we love to challenge our listeners. I'm challenging myself in this is the fact that God calls us to be really altruistic, mm-hmm. which means doing something for another with no benefit to yourself. And I know a lot of folks I have talked to who are hesitant about fostering is the fact that what if we get attached mm. and how will that make me feel if that child ends up being taken away? And I just think like that is the definition of altruism is like there is risk to yourself. There's a risk to your emotional health that you're going to get attached to a child 
in which they're going to be taken away. But, you know, what's so beautiful about it is like if the child gets taken away, hopefully that means that parent in the child's life wants, maybe I'm right or wrong, you can tell me, wants to be a parent. And like what that's ultimately the awesome thing is if that child can be reunited with the parent that's the end result that everyone wants to have. Sure. Um, but yeah, you have to be prepared for heartache and hurt and pain, but there's beautiful joy that comes that, that's from the word it. That, that's the word that cop, beauty is what, what pops yeah. in your head in that. There is beauty in that pain, right? And yeah. and if you're not becoming attached, you know, you, you know, it's probably not even as good as it should be. You, you yeah. should go into it expecting that you're going to get attached to this mm-hmm. child. Um, yeah. Because honestly, one of the things we see in adoption and in fostering is developing healthy, the, the child needs to attach to. Mm-hmm. And, and that's one of the things that gets missed a lot of times. And if it does get missed, it's it doesn't appear to be something that is really, you can really catch up with later. And right. so building a healthy attachment where, you, you, where you're feeling the love and the child's feeling the love has to happen. It needs to. It needs to happen. Yeah. And yeah, that's going to hurt. Yeah. You know, that really yeah. is. But but yet God is faithful in that yeah. and, and it's how God designed kids to grow. And yeah, you, I, I would say, yeah, you don't, don't go into it thinking I'm not going to get attached. I'm not, I'm trying, I'm going to try not to, but God will be there in the pain mm. when the attachment is broken. Right. I yeah. mean, that's because what you're doing for that child is, you know, just unimaginably good yeah. for them, for what that's going to mean for their future. Again, whether that means they go back to a, a parent or whether they get adopted by somebody else or, whatever, they are going to be better off because of that love that's been shown to them. And the, and the there is somebody who, who loves them so much that it hurts when they leave. And, and there's a lot of kids in this world that don't have that. It's amazing when you say that. And I really want to emphasize that to our listener, that the foster system, and I was first made aware of the foster system in Hawaii, mm-hmm. and they are just constantly looking for homes Yeah, because it is just, it's full. It's like beyond full. Right. They don't know where to put kids. It makes me sad because that just means there's a lot of broken families out there. there and we are. have podcasts on the purpose in parenting where mm. really if we can focus on, you know, the moms and dads raising these kiddos and work on mending broken homes, then we wouldn't have issues of needing foster families and all that, but we live in a broken world. And until Jesus comes back, these are the issues that we will probably always face. And so then it is how we as a church, whether it's a physical church or the church just being the body of Christ can attend to the needs of the community. Exactly. And I really think that foster families are a need. And again, overcoming that fear of what if I get attached? And like you said, it's just it, there's beauty in the pain. And yeah. um, I hope that that is a message that the listener can really take away with today. Uh, we have reached our time, okay, Doug. And I am so sorry. But again, if you would give me time at some other point, it probably will have to be more virtual than sure. anything as I do go back to Hawaii in the next few days. But we have more questions. But I think at least this gives our listener a little bit of something to think on. Yeah. To gnaw on. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> to chew on. All of that. Like, <laughs> I just, I really hope because I really hope our listener can start to think about this idea of altruism. We're really good about doing things for other people when it feel, makes us feel good and yeah. when there's not pain. And we can pat ourselves on the bat and go, yay, we did this. But when there's yeah. pain, that's when we run the other way. That's when we hide. That's when we 
tried to justify why we can't do such a thing. And so my challenge would be for you, if this is something that has maybe been placed on your heart, to press into that. Talk about it. Pray about it. It's, these are big decisions. So Absolutely. nothing to take lightly, but that there could be a reason why God has put this on your heart and to wrestle through that with him and see what beauty can come from it. So, yeah. well, Doug, we are just wishing you guys the best well, we as you that. continue to do what you do. And for those that are really intrigued, want to get to know more about Loving Shepherd Ministries, what you do, and maybe even find the assessment that you yeah. had talked about, can you give us some ways that they can find you on the internet, social media, phone numbers, emails? Yeah. Well, the easiest way is our website, loving-shepherd.org. Uh, we are on Facebook. We are on uh, Instagram. Um, so check us out. Uh, if you put in Loving Shepherd into any one of those, you'll you'll find us. Um, Shepherd is spelled S-H-E-P-H-E-R-D. Um, which uh, a lot of people uh, have seen it spelled different ways. And so they don't spell it that way. So it, it works better if you spell it that way. I'm glad you said that. Okay. And we'll put that in our show notes. Okay. Sounds good. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, definitely check it out. And uh, we'd love to engage with people and uh, help them in their journey wherever that's at. And you're a nonprofit. Correct. So donor support is probably huge. It is huge. Yep. And um, gosh, this will probably air in 2021. So what are some ways that potential donors can get involved. I know we're in a season of COVID and you said a lot of things have been going online in terms of fundraising, but right. um, are there other avenues? Yeah. I mean, we, we, we do rely on the giving and the, and the generosity of, of people who believe in the cause. And um, we, we have different uh, things that people can get involved in, whether that's, you know, uh, we have a, a family sponsorship model where we have many a person would join in with other people. They don't have, uh, we, we, we handle all the back office part of getting them attached to a family, but, but basically a family in Haiti or um, helping out in Ethiopia where it's a monthly uh, sponsorship. It's not for a single child, but you actually uh, help mm. with the sponsorship of an actual family in Haiti. You, you, there's pictures, there's some interaction, there's um, just a, a really neat way to, to help ongoing with with the the need for the kids that we serve there and then there's there's just and there's just some other um we, we always have needs and yeah. and so uh, financial giving but we would really really appreciate your prayers and mm -hmm. if, if there's something that we can do in the local area we we are looking for families who want to engage with uh teenagers in the foster care system okay. uh, whether that means actually becoming a foster parent or or just helping with the kids that are living in the home um, we, uh, we would love to, to talk to you and, and get to know you and, and, uh, help you in your journey. That's awesome. I always think that there's just so many ways to give. And some people are like, well, I can't financially give. I'm like, you have your time, yep. you have your resources. And then if you do have money, then that's a great thing too. Yep, um, so there's just so many ways. So think and pray about how you could, uh, get involved with these guys. So again, thanks Doug for your time. Appreciate Thank having you. you on the talking story podcast. I appreciate that. Well, Kelsey, that was quite an interview you had back in Bluffton, Indiana. Uh, and as we both know, and now our podcast listeners know, your brother, my son, our son, has adopted. And, you know, there is, as it was mentioned, there, uh, when you reach out through foster or other adoption, 
it can be a rough go. There can be some uh, bumps in the road. There can be some pain along the process. But the joy in the process is so phenomenal. My granddaughter is like my favorite person on the earth or one of them, you know, you just Trump's mom and I, we get that. Yes. 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 (laughs) (laughs) Love her tremendously, but yeah, no, absolutely. It's such a good reminder. Like, and it's just not even a second thought. She's just absolutely part of our family. And in fact, that's why this, Audio probably sounds a little different because you and I are in different places because I happen to be uh, hanging out with my brother and his wife and uh, their little baby girl. So it's super fun. But yeah, it's just such a great reminder, Dad, that, you know, God doesn't always ask us to do easy things. And we brought foster care and adoption to the table in this theme of the Talking Story podcast, that's altruism, right? We've been talking about altruism. I think every conversation we bring to the table is this idea that our lives are not meant to be our own. And in fact, there's going to be some uncomfortable uh, times or some painful times uh, when God calls us to do things. And it's like, no, that's going to disrupt my life or that's going to make things more hard or, you know, that's going to hurt a lot. but yeah, I just always think that when you look at the life of Jesus, and if we are to model what Jesus did, his life was not his own. You know, he came for us. And in fact, what that looked like is a crucifixion on the cross because Mm. of the things and the practices that he uh, was trying to put in place in order to allow us to live in freedom and to have a relationship with him. And of course, thankfully, he didn't stay in the grave. And the beautiful part of our our Christian faith is the resurrection. But just still, I can't imagine the agony that Jesus experienced on that cross for us. And so it's for me, like the least I can do is to try to find things and ways I can use my life to to help others. Um, And it's not going to be anywhere what Jesus did. But again, I just think that's the response that just seems natural. In um, as I think about what the Lord did for me on on that cross. So, anyways, lasting thoughts, Dad. You know, um, I often say subscribe or share, but this is one of those type of podcasts where probably a lot of our listeners are thinking of someone that they know that has been talking about these subjects and would like to know more. And so, I think this is definitely one worth sharing. I mean, it's kind of like. Yeah, if you didn't know how to change oil in your car and you had a good video that told you how, you'd want to share that. Uh, and if you and so says, oh, hey, watch this one. It'll tell you what you know, what you need to do and tools you need and et cetera. I think this is the tools you need. If you if you know someone who's been talking about it, uh, as you, Kelsey, have mentioned your own life and your own your own story. And we talked about that. Uh, so anyways, yeah, time to to share it, perhaps even listen again. We appreciate you taking the time uh, to be part of the Talking Story podcast family today, and uh, we will hear you talk. We will share again uh, next Monday uh, on the Talking Story podcast. Thanks for joining us today on the Talking Story podcast. We hope you feel encouraged and inspired. 
Be sure to visit our show notes for more information and find us on social media at The Talking Story Podcast. Your hosts, Bob and Kelsey, want to hear from you. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and leave a review. Oh, and big mahalo to our sponsor of today's podcast, Moy Moy Market, a one-stop shop to purchase products with purpose. We truly believe you have it in you to change the world too and to make an amazing difference in the lives of others.